0: Jesus or Barabbas what should we do with Jesus is the question I wonder what you would do with Jesus I'm sure those questions were flying around in the courts of Pilate I'm sure those questions were flying around in the crowd that were gathered in the courtyards and within the palace walls of Herod I mean what do you do with Jesus I mean, it is a good question to ask, isn't it? It's a particularly good question for Pilate to ask. I don't know if you've ever really thought about the situation that Pilate finds himself in. I mean, really, he's in a no-win situation. He cannot find any grounds by which to charge Jesus. In other words, every possible question and time that Pilate has spent with Jesus, it has only left him with one conclusion, that this is an innocent man. I mean, not even a Roman wants to sentence an innocent man to death. You might say the evidence is overwhelmingly in Jesus' favour. Maybe initially on Pilate's first encounter, which we looked at last time on Sunday, maybe in that first encounter, Pilate might have thought, well, this is actually quite an easy uh, scenario to find myself in. I've questioned him in their presence And I can find no grounds to charge him. He's made up his mind. He's reached his decision. Jesus is innocent. We will release him. The problem is that the crowd aren't giving up. The crowd are becoming ever more insistent. He's on the brink, perhaps, of civil unrest right before his eyes. And so the question is, what will Pilate do? But of course, as we looked at on Sunday, Pilate thinks he has a way out. Jesus is a Galilean, he belongs to Herod and his jurisdiction. Maybe Pilate thinks, that was a close one. I can now get rid of Jesus, he's somebody else's problem. You can imagine, therefore, perhaps as Pilate's heart sank, as Jesus reappears in front of him for the second time. Reason Herod can't find anything wrong with Jesus either, and so he sent him back. After all of this, it looks like the decision over Jesus has been left in the hands of Pilate. And of course, pressure is mounting. Time is running out, you might say. The shout of the crowd is only getting louder and louder. But at the same time, Pilate thinks, I cannot find anything wrong with this man. Yet he can't dismiss the ever-increasing noise from the crowd. Crucify. Crucify. I don't know what might have been going through Pilate's mind at this point. But I can imagine it might have been something along these lines. Do I go with what I believe to be true? Do I do with Jesus what I know to be right? Or do I bow to the pressure of the crowd, keep the peace, and wash my hands of Jesus? Imagine being in Pilate's situation at this moment. Imagine the stress and the pressure that he would have been under. I mean, I don't want to excuse Pilate because clearly where he ended up was wrong. But to give Pilate his due, he gave it all he got. The problem was when it all boiled down to it, the pressure of the people was just too great. Saving his own name was just too important. Yet it's clear from the text at this moment that Pilate wants to release him. Three times in this section, Pilate appeals to the crowd, I find no grounds to charge him. Even Herod agrees. I will just have him whipped just to appease you, and I will release him. But the crowd was only ever louder. Crucify! Crucify! What do I do with Jesus? Pilate thinks. Not recorded in Luke, but in Matthew, he poses that question. It's his custom to release to them a prisoner and so he he poses the question jesus or barabbas maybe this was pilate's alternative plan here's the bare bones you can either have jesus who is proven to be innocent or you could have barabbas a known and guilty murderer a thief perhaps even an insurrectionist surely that's an easy question isn't it I mean, who in their right mind would release a known murderer and thief over an innocent man? Maybe that's why Pilate gives them that choice. Of course they're going to choose Jesus. But they don't. So Pilate fires back again, I find no grounds in which to charge him. Crucified. Crucify him, comes the shout. What has this man done, Pilate thinks. I find no reason to charge him. But you see, the pressure is intense by this point. This crowd only want one response, and that is they want Jesus dead. As I said before, I don't want to excuse Pilate, but I think it's clear from the text here that Pilate believed Jesus to be an innocent man. It's also clear from the text that Pilate went to great lengths to make a great case for Jesus to be released. The problem was when it all came down to it, Jesus wasn't important enough to Pilate for him to stick with him. He would rather please the people and keep the peace than stand by Jesus. Jesus. And so he hands him over and releases a murderer. <clears throat> and we've, we've thought over the last few weeks, haven't we, how Jesus' trial was just a, a demonstration of pure injustice, the biggest injustice this world has ever seen. But surely this seals the deal, doesn't it? A guilty murderer goes free, and an innocent man dies in his place. What an injustice to let a known criminal go free and to allow an innocent man to be put to death. However shocking that might be, that is what happens. I like to get into the story and I I realize that this isn't recorded in any of the Gospels but I do wonder whether Barabbas found himself at the cross on that first good Friday I wonder if Barabbas was there observing what was going on and if he ever did and if he was there I wonder if he looked up at Jesus and thought that should have been me that should have been me I should have been hanging there I should have been suffering this man is dying the death that I deserved to die and yet he's innocent That is the mystery and the wonder of the cross, isn't it? You know, just as Barabbas might have looked up at Jesus and and thought those things, as you and I look to Jesus, as we look to the cross, don't we say the same thing? That should have been me. I should have died that death. I deserve to face what Jesus faced. You see, Jesus didn't die because he deserved it. He died to take the punishment that our sin deserved. And the punishment that we deserve to face because of our sin and rebellion has fallen on Jesus. An innocent man, the Holy Lamb of God, Jesus the Son of God, has been put to death in my place, in your place. There was no way that Barabbas deserved to be spared. And we in ourselves have done nothing to deserve being spared the punishment and wrath of God. And yet if we come to Jesus, we have. If we come to Jesus and are washed by his blood, then we have been spared. And that should cause us to look to the cross and marvel and wonder why. That old hymn, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Can that be true? Jesus, the innocent one, has died in my place. It is true. I wonder who would you have chosen? Jesus or Barabbas? Well, the people chose Barabbas over Jesus. Pilate released Barabbas instead of Jesus. And whilst the injustice screams out of the pages, the picture that we see is clear, isn't it? Jesus, the innocent one, the perfect one, died in the place of the guilty. To which we can only say this. What kind of love is this that gave itself for me? I am the guilty one. And yet I go free. What kind of love is this? A love that I've never known. I didn't even know his name. What kind of love is this? As we ponder and think upon that first question and the love of Jesus that took him to the cross, we're going to sing as the musicians lead us, a great old hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. So let's listen along as we... Or death. Did Jesus deserve to die? I'm sure whether we're a Christian or not, we'd probably all end up with Pilate saying, no, he was clearly an innocent man. I wonder how it makes you feel knowing that an innocent man has died. See, most of us have no problem with uh, accepting people who suffer suffer or are punished when they deserve it. We might say, well, they had it coming to them. But I'm sure most of us are upset or even angered when those who are punished are are done so uh, unjustly. Maybe the punishment doesn't match the crime Maybe there is no crime to be punished. You know, down through history, there have been many people who have faced the death penalty only later to be cleared and pardoned. Back to our passage, Uh, Jesus faced much ridicule. He faced mockings and beatings. Uh, The noise of the crowd as Jesus would have walked through the streets, I'm sure, would have been deafening. And I'm sure as we contemplate and we think about Jesus walking through the streets, walking his way up to where the cross would be, that place called the skull or Calvary, I'm sure you might rightly wonder, well, how on earth did we end up here? Less than a week ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to shout, not of crucify, but of Hosanna. And now we're here. One commentator put it this way. He says this, Calvary shows us how far people are willing to go in sin and how far God is willing to go for the salvation of you and I. Before we go too much further, I want to just press the pause button for a moment and, and really just consider the reality of Jesus' situation here. Now here is Jesus who is fully God and fully man. And in his humanity... He experiences the deep pain and anguish at the hands of sinful men. He's had nothing to eat or drink since the last supper the night before. And here is Jesus, hungry and thirsty, exhausted from his trial with Pilate to Herod, back to Pilate, in physical pain from the beatings, now forced to carry his own cross through the streets, to face yet more mocking and humiliation. And then he's nailed to an old rugged cross. I think sometimes the imagery that we picture is is far from reality. I'm sure it would not have been a nice, polished, smooth, sanded down cross. I'm sure that song captures it well, the old rugged cross. That emblem of suffering and shame. And facing certain death as Jesus hangs there but yet facing it willingly for you and me. And of course that is the reality and, it is, and that is the truth and we don't want to miss the whole thing of Jesus' suffering because I, I think sometimes we miss the reality of what Jesus went through. I think it is worth noting just how Luke describes the crucifixion. It's worth noting there that Luke actually uses very little descriptive text to talk about what Jesus faced on the cross. If you just look there at verse 32, there were were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they'd come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. That is all Luke says about the reality of the cross. There they crucified him. And it just made me wonder why Luke doesn't go into all of that detail. And we do need to be clear. We, we are not dismissing the realities of what Jesus faced as he suffered. But as Ben said, I think it was last week, Jesus' suffering wasn't what saved us. And I think Luke is trying to help us ponder that reality. That as Jesus hung on that cross, he did so to bear in his own body the sins the punishment for all those who had gone before, all those who would follow, all those who would belong to God's family. See, that is why Jesus died. He died that we, the guilty one, might go free. That we who are separated from God by our sin might be able to enjoy a restored and renewed relationship with God through Jesus. That is why Jesus died. That is why Jesus went to the cross. And it's interesting, isn't it? They, repeatedly there, the call is for Jesus to save himself, to get down from the cross. And sometimes I wondered in, in my own mind why Jesus didn't do that. If, if that had been me, I'd have probably wanted to prove a point and think, well, I can do it. Why didn't Jesus do that? Because Jesus knew the only way to save his people from their sins was to stay on the cross, was to endure it to the end. You see, Jesus' purpose was never ever about saving himself. That was not why Jesus came. That is not why Jesus died. It was always about saving a lost humanity. The problem was most of the people that were standing around the cross didn't see that. They didn't understand that. They had no understanding of those words in in Isaiah that by Jesus' wounds we are healed. In Jesus' death there is the offer of life. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And so this question that the cross asks us here tonight, life or death, is do you choose life or death? Now, of course, that's not a physical question. We all know the reality for us all is that one day we're going to die. The question that the cross asks takes us beyond that. It takes us beyond the now and into the future. It goes beyond this life into eternity. And it says, do you choose eternal life or do you choose eternal death? And I just think we see that wonderfully pictured there with these two criminals that Luke tells us are crucified with Jesus. You know, it's pointed out in in the passage that both of these criminals are facing the same death that Jesus is facing. And yet what a difference we see. Just look there at verse 39. The first one says, aren't you the Messiah? The second one says in verse 40, don't you even fear God? Back to the other one. We are punished justly. Our punishment matches our crime. But this man has done nothing wrong. The first there in verse 39 continues and says, Jesus, save yourself and us. But the second there in verse 42 says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a difference, by the way, to Pilate. Pilate too knew that Jesus was innocent. And yet Pilate washed his hands of Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't respond to the first criminal. But he does to the second. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, the second thief realized His life on this earth was about to come to an end. There is forgiveness at the cross for the vilest of offenders. There is a way back to God, to the most wretched of sinner. And you see, you can only face death well in this life if you know where you're going. You know, this second criminal got it, didn't he? He was on the brink of death. He realized that this life was ebbing away. Moments perhaps just from hell and eternal death. And in that moment, he was saved. In that moment, he was spared as he came to Jesus. He chose life. I love the way Alistair Begg sums up the two, uh, the differences between these two criminals. I found it really helpful. Just listen to what he says. The first criminal makes a demand upon Jesus for what he thinks he deserves. The second criminal makes a request to Jesus for what he knows he doesn't deserve. That is the difference between believing faith. That is the difference that stands between eternal life and eternal death. You see, as we come to Jesus, as we come to the cross, we do so as a sinner that is condemned and unclean. But if we come to the cross knowing that we have nothing to bring, we have nothing to offer, that we don't deserve anything from God, we don't deserve to be spared. If we know that Jesus has died for our sins in his own body, then we can choose life over death. Saved not because of anything that we have done, but only because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That is the reality, isn't it? I don't know about you, but as you think about that second thief, it wasn't really a complicated question, was it? It's a very simple request. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's not full of theological words. It's not full of vast knowledge. He just literally accepted Jesus in those dying moments. And if the cross is a mystery to you, if, if you do not fully understand why Jesus would die in your place, then you've understood as much as you need to in order that you might come to Jesus. So the question that we're left with really is, tonight will you choose Life over death. Will you choose Jesus over anything or anyone else? Tonight, as we've sung, will you come to that old, rugged cross and look to Jesus and not just say like Pilate did, he's a good man, he's an innocent man. But look to Jesus and from the depths of a believing heart say, this man has done nothing wrong. I am the guilty one. Jesus, remember me. I have nothing to bring to the table. I don't deserve any of this, Jesus. But this I know, that I am a great sinner that deserves death and punishment. But you, Jesus, are a great saviour, offering me life eternal. What kind of man is this, who died in agony, he who had done no wrong was crucified for me. What kind of man is this who laid aside his throne that I might know the love of God? What kind of man is this? Father, <clears throat> the cross is a mystery And if we're really truthfully honest, we do not understand why you would choose to die in our place. And yet we know that because of your great love, you willingly chose the cross so that I, the guilty one, might go free. Lord, we don't fully understand it. We know that. But help us grasp something of what Jesus went through. Something of the suffering that he faced. But far above all of that, understand that Jesus in his own body bore upon him the punishment that I deserve. Lord, we look forward to celebrating on Sunday, Jesus rising from the dead. And we thank you that in Jesus there is life. Help us, Lord, this night to choose life over death. Knowing we don't need to come with it all sorted, we don't need to understand everything, we don't need to ask complicated questions, we just need to know that we are a sinner who deserves death. And that Jesus is a great saviour who offers life. Continue with us now, Lord, we pray. As we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.